You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of the Village Church. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Jen Wilkin and JT English. And on today's episode, we're also joined by the wonderful Mason King. We talk about the Lord's Supper. We also talk about Mason King's handkerchief. We cover a lot of really big controversial topics on the Knowing Faith show today. Mason, if you remember from the last episode, JT and I had secret words. In this episode, Mason had a secret word. So if you can guess, we couldn't figure out what it, what it was. So if you could guess what that secret word is, you can use hashtag Knowing Faith podcast to register your guesses. We hope you enjoy this profitable discussion. So Mason, we were just told by the Bay that there is a word that they've given you uh, that we have to try to guess. <laughs> they like they gave you a word to bring in with the Knowing Faith host crew. Yeah. Secret word. There's they a did. secret word. Secret phrase of the day. Okay. What is it? He can't tell, <laughs> you, tell you right now. It's going to ruin the Here, game. But oh we can invite our, our listeners on to guessing with us. Oh, yeah. That'd be great. If yeah. you guys can help us. Yeah. Hashtag Knowing Faith podcast. <laughs> whatever you think. Uh, whatever you think is the secret word or phrase. You thought it was just three of us that, that we're going to be guessing. Nope. But now. Yep. Now it's a, an army. Yeah. A whole community. It's better on podcasting podcast like announcements on the service though, mm-hmm. right? Right. Because then people would just be yeah. yelling out the whole time. Yeah. Mm. I was having a conversation with Michael Bleeker. Speaking of announcements in a service, I would rather yeah. preach 30 sermons <laughs> than do announcements once. There's something. Really? Oh, yes. There's something about announcements to me that feels like, and I'm not saying it. it's not this. Mm-hmm. I'm saying I feel this. It feels that- like nobody's here to hear this. They oh, want to yes. do the worship. Yeah. They're here for the sermon. I feel like I'm reading and, the minutes of a previous yes. meeting. And you're like, I, I, I'm <laughs> sorry that I'm ruining the vibe, but I've got to tell you yes. some stuff. And I feel like I have to do it like in a kitschy way. That I'm like trying to guard our face. Like, hey, you know, right. like, yes. like wink at them and like point your finger. <laughs> Wait, I love that you think that the announcements have to be like a like a bad pickup line. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I just don't know how to how to get their attention. JT, not everyone has the spiritual gift of announcements. Yeah, <laughs> I I for sure do not. Like, I, Mason's done it. You've done a good job. I've seen you do them. I enjoy doing announcements. Mm-hmm. Really? Why? And it shows. Okay. Uh. <laughs> because, because he believes he's providing helpful information that people want to hear. Well, he's more pure of heart than the three of us. Yeah, it must be. I think the, I, I think the announcements are opportunity to set the tone for the beginning of the service. <sighs> the so you can before the sermon. You feel good how you do that? No, you don't have to. You're not doing a sermon at the announcements, but you are welcoming people into God's house. Whoa, whoa, whoa hold on. Are you breaking out a hanky? <laughs> Since eighth grade, here we go. Oh my gosh, I have. Ne- wow, I've never seen this in real life. I've never either. I've never seen you use it. Oh my gosh! But I'm glad you have every it. day. Yeah. Gosh, like a I just feel like we're in rarefied air now. I'm sorry. Did I just out you as a what, what, hanky what, user? What, what's, what's the handkerchief? Appro- handkerchief. That's yeah. the appropriate. Thing. Okay. <laughs> do I don't even do? know. That's a class I'm not in. But Mason, what do you do if um, someone, a, a total stranger next to you, has a sneezing fit? You offer them a Kleenex, but okay. not your personal handkerchief. No. Okay. Well, I Jesus says unless you super should, clean. if they ask for a tunic, you should give it to them. I'm not going to give them my dirty handkerchief. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't want it. My wife's going to love this conversation being on the podcast. What, is she Hang on, is there like a is there like a handkerchief like niche like are there? Oh, if I mail you my handkerchief, will you bless it? <laughs> okay, Mason, we better get to the podcast. <laughs> Mason, this is just for all the knowing faith you listeners. Work next door um, to me, so I yeah, guess I could just run just it into walk your it over office. It. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry, we just outed you as a handkerchief user. It's fine. There's he's a, but not there's, embarrassed about no, it. No, he's Kyle. not. You're acting like it's something to be ashamed of. You don't have a lot to be embarrassed about. But if there ever was, you're a very confident person. There's no doubt about that. That in, um, and I, if I was, I would turn beet red, and you would know it pretty quickly. 
<laughs> well, I love one of the things that I love about Mason uh, over the last five years of getting to know him is that he's idiosyncratic uh, and like uh, he has really interesting little things that he loves or that he's into, and he's not bashful at all. And the about things them. that he loves, he knows everything about. Them. Yes, like is a is a connoisseur. Of hand- the reason I ask you the niche question about handkerchiefs is I'm sure you know like seven of the best websites. Sure. Do you? Do you? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <See>? <laughs> well, I took, I took one of our podcast guests into his office and somebody goes, wow, this is the most like unique office I've ever walked into. And it was like, yes, it's like literally if Mason he exploded on the walls of this office, <laughs> <laughs> this is what it would look it's like. Mason, Mason moved in. Oh, I mean, I, sure. I walked in there and, and I was like, Mason, this is all like your best books and everything are here. He's and committed to the team. I don't have a room in my house. No, I'm I was wondering if you're him, gonna bring your books in. No, because yeah. I gotta be able to make a quick exit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, Carly, there, Carly and I talked about it and she was like, Where's where's all your stuff gonna go? And the, I think the main thing I got to take into our new home was the Buffalo Head. <laughs> and it's in Shepherd's room. So I was saying earlier, I don't know if I'm scarring about. my three-year-old or setting him up for life that he yeah, sees it every morning. No, there, there, there are people who have paid off their mortgages that are less settled than you are in your office. <laughs> There's no doubt. Guys, I think we were actually supposed to talk about something on this. No, 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 no. I want to keep episode. on this. Um, no, we are talking about the Lord's topic. Supper today. JT yep. loves this topic. I do. You say that when you when we have a topic that you love, you say I that say you it. love it. I'm, I'm, I get so excited. And but, you nod your head when you say it because you feel good about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I'm very confident. So we're talking about the Lord's <laughs> Supper, um, and this is significant <laughs> conversation because the Lord's Supper, and I know it, for some of the listeners, it might feel like, why take this much time to consider the Lord's Supper? And you may not be aware of it. Maybe your church is a church that you know um, practices the Lord's Supper regularly, or uh, it does so on an annual basis. Like, there's a lot of different ways that the Lord's Supper is practiced, and we're going to talk through the Lord's Supper and a theology of what's happening in the Lord's Supper. Um, and I just want to, to acknowledge that for a lot of us, we have maybe different cultural or religious backgrounds or even current church backgrounds, and we bring that perspective to the Lord's Supper with us. Um, but this issue has been a very divisive and contentious issue in the history of the church. Some of the biggest kind of internal disputes, uh, particularly around the Reformation, emerged as a result of different views on the Lord's Supper. Yeah, they were very, very uh, interested in talking about this topic. Right, so if, if, if anything, we might be one of the first generations in the life of the church that is not as, like, ready to go to blows on the Lord's Supper. Uh, we, we're, we're unique in that regard. It has you, been— You a, might be. <laughs> you might be. <laughs> Great. JT's ready to get thrown down <laughs> on the Lord's Supper. But uh, let's just kick it off. The Lord's Supper, it's one of two ordinances or sacraments. The other one is baptism. When we say ordinance or sacrament, what do we mean? What's an ordinance or sacrament? Some people use these terms interchangeably, but they probably shouldn't be used interchangeably. So typically uh, the Catholic tradition and some Protestant traditions have used the term sacrament to refer to God's actually issuing of grace in the midst of these uh, elements. So God is actually doing something, and it's mysterious how God is doing this. An ordinance is more typically uh, in the kind of the free church tradition, maybe the Baptist tradition, where we're talking about these these are not accomplishing necessarily anything among us. God, uh, Jesus ordained these things for his church, these two ordinances in particular to shape and form the life of the family of the church. Yeah, and I, like I use the terms interchangeably. And I think, and I think they can be. Yeah. They just historically have not. Like, the historical traditions oh, for intentionally sure. did not, but mm-hmm. I think they can be also. Yeah, um, and so I'll often be like, oh yeah, baptism and the Lord's Supper are ordinances or sacraments. Right. Now, when I use that term sacrament, I don't mean what our Catholic neighbors mean. Yeah, this is, a, this is something I'd love to hear cleared up because I have 
I tend to use the term sacrament, but mm-hmm. am I miscommunicating something if I do that? No, I mean, you just have to know that with an audience, I think particularly if you're in an area that has like a, like if a lot of former Catholics were a part of your church, when they hear sacrament, they're going to hear something different. Yeah. So um, like the way a Catholic would understand sacrament, a, a, a way, uh, like Thomas Aquinas would talk about, Jesus purchased a storehouse of merit for us. Right. And the way you access that merit is through these seven sacraments. So we only believe in two, but a good Catholic believes in seven. And the way that you receive merit or honor or grace from Jesus is by accessing his grace that he's purchased for you through baptism, Lord's Supper, uh, rites of ordination, marriage, other kinds of things. And so sacrament can be used that way. We're we're not using it that way. Sure. We're using it in the way that maybe Calvin would use yeah, it. Yeah, I use sacrament when I when I'm using that term. I'm saying that th- these are the means, but these are two means by which God uh, has instituted for His church to receive His sanctifying grace in a unique way. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Great. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Yeah. Sanctifying grace, mm-hmm. not saving grace, mm-hmm. not more merit. Those kinds of things. So, baptism and the Lord's Supper are these two ordinances or sacraments. If we were going to hop into the Bible to talk about the Lord's Supper, where would we go? Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper uh, with his disciples. Uh, He institutes the Lord's Supper at the Last Supper. And so he's entered Jerusalem triumphantly. He's begun teaching his disciples in the upper room. And it's in most of the Gospels, but specifically where I go typically is Matthew chapter 26, Mm -hmm. verses 26 through 29. Can I read those real quick? Sure. So we hear Jesus' words. What if I was like, no, no, <laughs> no let me paraphrase it. No, I'd really like to. I'd like to capture Jesus. I asked in my you own. those things because you've done it before. <laughs> oh God, yuck! <laughs> Go for it, JT. <laughs> okay, this is Matthew twenty-six, verse twenty-six. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and, after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, "Take, eat. This is my body." And he took a cup and, when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying. Drink of it, all of you, for this is my for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So, Jesus, this is the institution of the Lord's Supper. Yes. And uh, the Lord's Supper is connected to what other big— Yeah, so his disciples are there, and they've come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, which— for you have to try to get in the imagination of Jesus and his disciples. This is the climactic event of the Bible up until this yeah. point that God's people who are suffering under the tyrannic rule of Pharaoh and death and ultimately Satan and living as slaves, they're living in Egypt and they are in need of deliverance. And God comes and delivers them through uh, Moses, the deliverer. And ultimately, the way it happens is there is this incredible Passover uh, of the 10th plague where where uh, the angel of death passes over uh, Egypt and kills all the firstborn except for those who have been covered by the blood of the lamb and their doorposts. And so they come together to celebrate that God is the one who delivers us out of the hands of our enemies and gives us the kingdom and gives us salvation. And so until that point or uh, from that point, Israel, this, this people who are God's chosen people, they're no longer slaves, but now sons and daughters – they celebrate this event of God's salvation on their behalf. And so Jesus and his disciples have gathered together to remember what God has accomplished. He's accomplished salvation for them. So if, if someone is thinking, okay, I'm going to learn more about the Lord's Supper, they actually probably need to start in Exodus 12. Yeah, Like I if think they're so. going to go That's and good. read through what's going on in the Passover in that night and mm-hmm. understand how every time the Lord's Supper is, and Guy Waters says this in his book about the Lord's Supper, he says like it's always a looking back and a looking forward. Mm-hmm. So you're looking back on the Passover every time of how God provided for Israel and what Christ is uh, reinstituting, re-ritualizing in that moment. And then we're looking forward in what Christ is putting in place in the mm-hmm. covenant. 
That's good. Well, yeah, and there's a, um, and not to say like, <laughs> I don't want this to be one of those things where like, well, you could go even further back than Exodus sure. 12, but there is a uh, tradition um, through Genesis of ratifying covenants around meals. Yeah. yeah. The covenant with Noah. Covenant with Abraham. Mm-hmm. These are covenants. Uh, uh, mi- Moses goes up and has a meal. Moses on goes up and has a meal. Um, and so there is a, um, and this connects with what we know about, uh, this might get into other stuff, but covenant practices and a lot of the kind of covenant language we find in the Old Testament was rooted in other ancient Near Eastern forms of covenant making. Um, and uh, there's a lot of debate over how much those should form the way that we read Old Testament covenants. I certainly think they should be informative to how we read the Old Testament covenants. Um, but covenant, uh, that meals were often, they're just a part of covenant making ceremonies broadly in the ancient Near East. That's right. And so they factor in throughout the Old Testament. And the Lord's Supper is certainly another depiction of Jesus, like ratifying a covenant with a meal. Yeah, yeah and that's why he uses this word. And it's so not only do they have in their minds, this climactic event captured for us in the early chapters of Exodus, but they also have a promise that was given to the prophets while God's people Israel was in exile. You think of Jeremiah 31 or Isaiah, this everlasting covenant, or the covenant that is going to be the new covenant where God descends by the power of the Holy Spirit into his people. And rather than them obeying an external law, he's going to write God's word on their heart. And so they have a relationship with God through this older covenant, this covenant with Moses that they're celebrating at the Passover meal. And so he's, Jesus is celebrating celebrating this older covenant, but he's re-ritualizing them and instituting a new covenant. He says, this is the blood of the covenant, the new covenant ultimately. So it's pointing back to a previous covenant, but it's pointing forward to the better covenant. I think there's another thing that's kind of cool in the language of this, and and we've all repeated it or heard it said a million times, the statement of do this in remembrance of me. But I think we we hear it with, with this absence of this knowledge of the Old Testament, and we don't realize that Jesus is doing a very specific thing there with his words because the mantra in the Old Testament that you hear over and over again is remember the Lord your God. Remember the Lord your God. And so when Jesus says remember me, in some sense he is saying I am God. And remember me in this act. That's really good. Yeah. No, he is. And he is uh, with the act itself uh, retelling Israel's history. Right. And subsequently the mighty acts of God. Right. I mean, uh, and he's also, and we'd be remiss if we pointed out that the Lord's Supper is just looking back. It's also looking forward. It's also looking forward. It's looking forward to a uh, broken body and shed blood. And it's also looking forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb, Mm -hmm. where uh, King Jesus hosts a different table. Mm -hmm. Revelation 19. Yeah, Revelation Mm -hmm. 19, um, where uh, King Jesus is presiding over another feast. And so there is, the Lord's Supper is such a look back, look forward kind of meal, not just in its institution, but even in its weekly observance in the life of the church. Well, I think you could even add another layer for the context of our conversation here. It's look back and then look around mm-hmm. and look forward. Yeah. Because as you're taking it together, I think a lot of the ways that we, in our individualized culture, we get in and we take the supper together, but it really is a call to say, look around. Like the body here in this moment who is, particip- who is in Christ and participating in this remembrance of who he is, both what he's bought and in union with him. And then it's look forward. Yep. Uh, but Amen. we often That's skip, really over, good. We skip <laughs> over the look around part good. because we kind of say, hey, think about what's going on, mm-hmm. take it, and then let's go. But there, like, for so much of church history, like this was – more like this was on par with the sermon. It was it was a more centralized yeah, was, part of the service. Yeah, I was oh, sure. shading that a little bit. It was yeah. a more centralized part of the service. It wasn't just for a reflection after the sermon. Mm-hmm. 
And I think last three or four hundred years, it's become closer to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but to understand, like, if you are, I mean, if you think about the Union of the Christ episode we were talking about, like, if you're if you're in Christ, and this is our moment in our gathering to meditate on Jesus, and it's a moment for us to think through what it means to be in Him yeah. in a very tangible way, yeah. in a way that is uh, incorporeal. And it, yeah, it's a part. Like, it's a part of the service where everybody in the service becomes a preacher. Because we're all preaching this good news to each other yeah. and saying we are in Christ together. Yeah. So as I watch you take the Lord's Supper or we partake communally, we're saying we are this family that Christ has accomplished something for. And we're proclaiming him yes. Yes. to each other. That's right. Oh, man. I mean, the way that I grew up taking the Lord's Supper, oh. it was not look back or look forward or look around. It was look inward. Right. Yeah. Do you guys have you seen this? Oh, for well, oh, yeah. sure. And, and, and it's yeah. it's uh, there is some biblical justification for mm-hmm. it, but not nearly as much. As well, it's, we often... it's probably an emphasis problem, well, right? Yeah, because people First say you shouldn't, yeah, yeah, you shouldn't eat about. or drink in an sure, unworthy, unworthily. Manner, right? But that t- that was the sum total of it for me. Is it was the moment where I was supposed to um, sort of go through where had I sinned during? It was almost uh, like Catholic confession, actually, yep. yeah. where I would go through the litany of my sins and make sure that I'd gotten everything checked off before I took the, the But even taking elements. it in an unworthy manner is a look around moment because what's going on, and it's typically taken from 1 Corinthians 11, uh, where there's great divisiveness among the community. Yeah. There's the spiritually elite and the spiritually impoverished mm-hmm. based upon spiritual gifts, they were saying. Or uh, those who had financial wealth and those who didn't, or those who had physical means and those who didn't. And so you had in the community isn't just the people who are perhaps practicing charismata and those who didn't in creating uh, a massive division among the people, but there was those who were wealthy and could eat food and they mm-hmm. would eat before the people who didn't have food showed up. And Paul's saying, this is not a proclamation of what Christ has accomplished for you. The cross is the leveling ground for all people. And if mm-hmm. you're partaking when somebody who is has less than you do or doesn't have the means to partake with you, you're proclaiming the opposite of the gospel. Yeah, you got to consider right. one another. So it was like, it was, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. it's a personal reflection, but it was tied into a corporate reality. It was an issue. I mean, I don't want to overstate the case, but it was an issue of justice. Yes. You were, you were behaving unjustly to your brothers and sisters. It wasn't that you had some sin in your life that again, yes, we should talk about that and we should repent from sin and we should root out every kind of evil in our hearts as we can. And as the Lord makes us, but that's not what that text is talking no, about. No, it was personal, but not private. That's right. It wasn't like, like settle this in your heart. Yeah. It was like there are very real tangible results as uh, or effects from the result of your sin. The well, way think, you are worshiping is improper because it's communi- it's it's a it's a false communication of the gospel. Yeah. And to Jen's point, I think probably I would say in the last half century we've seen a lot of uh, the interior move of hey, it's where you need to examine your own heart, mm-hmm. make sure you're clean before you come and take, or you know go settle something before you do it. And I've felt in some instances less of the, hey, look around moment. Like this yeah. is this is the body here. This is what we do together. Yeah. This, is our, this is our point of union. Let's talk about who we are in him in taking this together. Yeah. It's just one more time where we have co-opted the corporate gathering for a private moment. And there's, yeah, yes, and there's not anything wrong with reflection. No, no certainly not. not. So like, I, like in, just in our, our own liturgy at Mosaic, our time of, cor- uh, of confession of sin, which happens uh, after the call to worship, uh, we sing in celebration that we're gathering in the presence of God, and then we have a time of corporate confession. And we extend the offer for mm-hmm. people to quiet their hearts and to sure. think about where they need to confess their sin before God. And then we come back together corporately to corporately confess together. Yeah. Yeah. But in our time of the Lord's Supper, we sing as we come forward to take it because it's a feast of celebration. So I was just, yeah, that's what I've been sitting here thinking about, how the other emphasis that I think was communicated to me um, around this as I was 
younger in the church or in years past was that this was a time for me to do um, sort of a gut-wrenching search about how how um, Jesus hung on the cross yeah. for me. Yeah. And I don't mean to, I mean, we're looking at elements that are symbolic of that sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So so I'm just, what I'm saying here is there was probably an overemphasis on that uh, in the sense that these calls to remembrance that are in the Old Testament that would be pointing toward this call to remembrance, they were calls to remember the faithfulness of God. Yeah. And that's what the emphasis ought to be when we think about remembering. I mean, certainly we remember his faithfulness to to be the mm-hmm. sacrifice for us, but the emphasis is on faithfulness, not yeah. loss. I, I think it was, I, I thought of it as make sure that you feel bad enough. Yeah, it's like a wake. It's yeah. a meal at yeah. a wake. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's how Instead a lot of people, of a when it should be like, this is, if we're looking forward, like it's a, there's the moment of introspection of um, awareness, but we're looking forward to a feast. Yeah. yeah. And so this is, hey, we're celebrating in this meal together. Yeah. We are rejoicing in who he is and what he's done, and we're proclaiming him until he comes. We should be excited about taking this together. Yeah, the Lord's Supper is Advent every Sunday. Yeah. Oh, that's it's good. Just yeah, like, that's real good. It's like, that was the, that just, was the mic drop moment. Just you guys like, write that down. Spirit of Advent. <laughs> well, I mean, no, seriously. I mean, just write like it, it captures that spirit of like looking back on the faithfulness of God and looking forward with expectant hope to a better meal. Like somebody said recently, like um, uh, the Lord's Supper is a meal that doesn't fill me up. And I said, yeah, it's not supposed to mm. because there is a meal that's coming that will meet every desire. Yeah. We don't get to have that meal this side of heaven. But okay. you ha- as you have this today, you can be assured yes. that you will have that and meal And you eventually. can taste and see that the Lord is good. Yeah. Um, but it does leave you wanting more. Well, and that's the fourth beatitude. Like I, I think of the Lord's Supper, is a, it, is an act, it is an acting out of blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. Oh, yeah. And good. one Come of the that things down. that Arthur Pink points out um, when he writes on that, that I just loved is he says, it's impossible to um, be filled if you haven't first been emptied. Mm. That, that it's not, if you, if you're spiritually full, then you, you can't receive. And so I think another, this whole aspect of um, examining ourselves and coming in a worthy manner is that we do need to be emptied, emptied of our self-righteousness and our self-reliance and all of these things um, so that we're in a posture to receive. Um, but just that um, every time we, come to the table, we are visibly, we are, we are in a, um, we're acting out what it means to hunger and thirst for the very righteousness of Christ. And one of the reasons I think of like one of the things I know we're going to talk about is biblical themes and how we kind of see these playing out in other texts is, uh, so we have already talked about where this happens covenantally and other covenants throughout mm-hmm. the Bible. Uh, but another point, and of course it happens in the Passover. Yeah. But then again, it happens when they're in the wilderness, mm-hmm. right? They they go through the Red Sea. They're given this new identity as God's people, and then they're looking for God's provision, not the kind of provision that's going to be what they're what they need forever to be, you know, kind of maintained. Uh, but it's just to keep them until God gives them the kingdom. He sends manna yep. down from heaven. Mm-hmm. It's this it's this meal that they get. Don't take too much. Don't take too little. Mm-hmm. Don't make you know make sure everybody has some. You don't get too much. You know, don't store up for a bunch for yourself because you're worried about God's provision. And so that's kind of a going back to the point. This doesn't fill me up exactly. It's, yeah. it's daily bread. Yes, it is. It is. Jen, who's one of the smartest people that you know? 
JT English. That's true. And where did JT go to seminary mm, at? Pretty sure it was Southern Seminary. It was. And we have a lot of people that are a part of our staff that have either are in programs at Southern or have completed programs through Southern. And we have a ton of our members across a variety of life stages who are currently students at Southern Seminary because they make it so easy and so accessible. And if you're looking to pursue more theological education, whether an undergrad or a master's, or even just to get some classes to become a better Bible teacher, you can go to Southern Seminary's website, sbts.edu, and you can apply using the code KNOWINGFAITH and have your application fee waived. Um, So what is happening in the Lord's Supper? This is probably one of the most hotly debated, like not probably, this is the most historically hotly debated Are you talking about presence? Yes. Yeah. What is um, what is actually happening in the Lord's Supper? And so let me just kick off the conversation. There are a variety of views. The, uh, the view of the Catholic Church has been a view called transubstantiation. Okay, transubstantiation, and this is the view that Jesus that the uh, that the bread and the wine, or the bread and the cup, um, is literally transformed uh, into the body and blood of Jesus, but remains in the. Physical substance yes. of bread and cup. Right, yeah. right. So um, uh, it still has all of the properties yeah. of the bread and the cup, but it is the body and blood of Jesus. Yep. Um, and so that's called transubstantiation, meaning that there that Jesus Christ's presence is in the elements of the uh, uh, and bread not just and in cup. a spiritual way, but no, in physical, physical, physical way. way. Yeah. Yes, it, it's it's in there. That's yeah. one view, kind of in this taxonomy of views on the Lord's Supper. What are some of the other views? With the Lutheran church, uh, or Luther in particular, you have what's called consubstantiation. And it's really not all that dissimilar. He would, he would be frustrated with me saying this, uh, right? But Because he, he literally people were killed over things like this. Yeah. Uh, but consubstantiation is this idea that Christ's presence is physically there, but not in the way that it's actually the, the, the body and the blood of Jesus. It's Jesus is there physically among his people, but not in the same way that they're partaking of his body and blood. Kind of like, like his presence is in and around. Yes. Yeah. Above, the, and below, above and below, in and around, around. in and yeah. with. Yep. Yep. Everywhere but the elements. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Kind of yeah. the Surrounding, uh-huh. but not the thing. Yep. And, and would you say that Luther <clears throat> was trying to land there because he was only one degree removed from the Catholic Church? Was it just, was it a progression or was it a genuine position? This, this, that is a, like... <laughs> that's the money question. That's a very tough question. Um, I think, uh, uh, oh gosh, I want to go on like a huge rabbit trail here, um, which very few would care about. But um, there's a big thing that's happening um, with the way that Luther is viewing how things are. The Catholic view was heavily reliant on a particular philosophic tradition mm-hmm. um, and had mined the insights of Aristotle. So you might be like, how is Aristotle related to the Lord's Supper? And the Catholic view, Aristotle's view of how a thing is. Mm-hmm. Okay, now this is like, stick with me. What a thing is, what its actual substance or essence is, Aristotle was deeply formative on how they viewed the Lord's Supper. This is, you just heard me say a minute ago, like the properties yeah. or the accidents. They would distinguish between the substance of what a thing is and the accidents being like, for example, they would say the substance of Kyle Worley is a human, but there are all sorts of properties or accidents that essentially accentuate different features of who I am. But substance, like substantively, I'm, I'm human. Okay. So go ahead. What, what no, would I'm, be an accident? An accident would be like, I have uh, like, I have, I'm balding 
or have brown eyes, <laughs> or my name is Kyle. Wait, you're balding? Don't do that to me. <laughs> if you knew how many people have come to my defense consoling me over the double the tag team that you guys waged on me. Hold on, I was a part of this too. She came after me also. I said it was adorable. Yeah, and that is the most patronizing thing <laughs> I said. I straight up said JT looked old, so you came out doing That's just true. fine. true. You were about to say something, Mason. I was, yeah, I was going to offer you a pontoon boat here. Uh, I feel like <laughs> it's, if it's the substantiation part. Yep. So it, it Correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that uh, Calvin felt like Luther was sympathetic with the Catholic view. Yes. And that the, even the term consubstantiation was too close for Calvin. Yeah. Oh, no doubt about that. Okay. But, but the, the, yes, absolutely. But what's interesting about this debate is it's not a debate about the Lord's Supper for Luther and Calvin. It's a Christological debate. Yeah, yeah, we, if we're bringing it back anywhere, yeah. we're bringing it back to Christology. <laughs> it is. But it is. It genuinely is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because they actually have some correspondence where they're vehemently disagreeing with each other over Christology and some Christological heresies that were part of the early church. Because Calvin's view is that is that Jesus is present at the Lord's Supper, but he's spiritually present. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why is that important for Calvin? Because our Christology suggests, or his Christology suggested, that a physical, the, the, the property that's true of being human is that you're located yep. and you can't be at two places at the same time. So and if Jesus yep. is fully human, his body is in the heavens, yep. but spiritually he can be everywhere. So draw it out more, his body can't be in the property of the bread. It can't be, and it can't be in the property the right of bread. Of the and, and, that's right. Yeah, so like how it could, also can't be in this room. Right. It can't yeah. be, Jesus is not here with us physically. Uh, he's present with his people spiritually as right. they gather because he is divine. Yeah. But and, and so that's why for Luther and Calvin, this is a Christological debate where, where Calvin would have accused Luther of being what's called Eutychian. That name doesn't matter, but it basically means that you're talking about the properties of Jesus's divinity, that he's mm-hmm. divine and human and confusing, confusing them. them. Yeah. Yeah. And saying that his humanity has divine like properties, his, his human nature has divine like properties, and that his divine like properties might, or his divinity might have human like properties. Mm-hmm. So that's an early church heresy. But then Luther critiques Calvin of yep. being what's called Nestorian, which so separates the two natures mm-hmm. that they're no longer the same person. Right. So there's, so we've gotten three of the, what I think are the historic four views on the table. Uh, you got transubstantiation, consubstantiation, spiritual presence. Real presence is another name to say that. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and then the fourth is memorialism. This mm-hmm. is like the Zwingli view. Mm-hmm. It's also the historic Baptist view mm-hmm. um, is that uh, that Christ is not uniquely present physically or spiritually in any way in the Lord's Supper. It's simply remembrance. It's remembrance. Yeah. That's why you see a lot of Baptist uh, 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 communion tables say this do in remembrance of me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's laying it out all. there. Yeah, because they're like, yeah. like it, people yeah. are like, oh, it's referencing scripture. It's like, yep, and also stating their position yeah. very clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Um, I'm not picked up on that. Memor- so, memorialism, which is just the view that like Christ, like uh, Christ is as present among His people um, 45 minutes before the Lord's Supper is observed as He is when the Lord's Supper is observed. So that's the view that we hold. Yep. And what? memorialism. That's not the view I it's hold. That's not me. Either. Oh, hey, hey. Oh. Hey, you're just a predominantly Baptist, so I went on a limb there. Let's talk about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, um, my view is a spiritual presence view of the Lord's Supper. Me too. So yeah. I would say, like, what I tell our people is that, uh, we, we talked about this in membership class, I think that there is a unique spiritual presence of Christ that accompanies the observance of both ordinances. Yep. Both baptism and the Lord's Supper. Oh, I agree with that. So, like, I would say, like, if somebody came and were a, were a part of every part of our service, with the exception of the Lord's Supper, they would have missed a moment 
um, where the sanctifying grace of God was being communicated in a unique way at that time. So basically what you're saying, Kyle, is that you believe that the Holy Spirit is using the means that Jesus instituted in a particular and special way, in a way that is above and beyond uh, other means of God sanctifying his people, that these are God's tools to bring about sanctification and formation. At least in, uh, with particular emphasis in the corporate yes. gathering yep. yes. in, our, in our worship. So my question there, because I agree with what you said, mm-hmm. and I would say that, uh, my question there is, so what's happening in the practicing of them? Like here at the village, we practice every week. So what is the role of the observing of the ordinance and of that kind of right? I told you earlier I'm reading Drew Johnson's book, Human Rights. Yep. And so the role, the formational role of that practice. Let's talk about that for a second. Yeah, I mean it's cultivating both remembrance, uh, cultivating – like you you pointed out, I love that. Uh, I've never thought about it like that. But like it's cultivating remembrance. It's also cultivating our connection with our brothers. and It's a family meal. Yeah. And it's also cultivating hopeful expectancy mm-hmm. of another meal. So it's all of that. It's a retelling of the story of redemption. We sometimes use it's, the language of rehearsing the gospel. Yeah, reorientation, yeah. rehearsal. Re, I mean some other language we'll use when we talk about this in the training program is that we all have false stories. Mm-hmm that we think are true of the world. Uh, and this is a re-narration of the true story of the world. So we need to not just hear God's word preached, but participate and proclaim together the true story of the world, that Jesus Christ is God's son sent on his behalf in order to accomplish salvation for us. And we will one day dine with him forever. Yeah, and I think the important thing that you mentioned here, both of you, is it is a rehearsal of our true story in the midst of what we're doing in the gathering. And then it's a pointing forward to our true hope. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. so much in our narratives, we can like, even we talk about this in the training program, we get kind of head down looking where we are in life. And this is a weekly reminder of, hey, no, head up. Like, look what's ahead of you and who's going there with you. Yep. Remind each other. We have great hope. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, th- yes, yes, yes. And I mean, there's so many things that we could talk about. Like, I... Uh, there's so many different ways we can talk about how the Lord's Supper is formative. Like, it's King Jesus reminding us that he invites uh, us to feast with him. It's King Jesus reminding us that he invites us, uh, sinners as we are, to have a seat at his table, that he feasts with sinners. It's a reminder of divine hospitality towards the other. It's a reminder that God provides a meal for us we can't provide on our own. It doesn't matter. Like, And uh, I love it, too, because uh, observing the Lord's Supper weekly, and I tell this to our people, like the sermon might have pressed on you in a unique way or a part of the service, and you might be feeling a sense of conviction or exhortation. But guess what? All of us walk out of here uh, as believers through the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. Yeah. Like we, that's like, we, like, doesn't matter if the sermon like, uh, pressed on you and you feel like, man, I need to go confess this sin. I need to go repent. Or man, I feel like there's an area where I want to seek greater faithfulness or fidelity and obedience. But the way out of that room, so to speak, is not head hung low Mm -hmm. going like, man, I'm so terrible. It's to be reminded that no matter how you feel right now, King Jesus is saying, Hey, you have a seat at my table. Yeah. Like, you can come here, all who are weary and heavy laden. At, at the Lord's Supper, the church is being put on a regular diet of the gospel. Mm-hmm. That's good. Every single week, we are gospeling each other, yeah. gospeling ourselves, gospeling the community, so that we might be faithful to go proclaim and live out the realities of the gospel in the world. And that's why, and again, I don't want to get on any, uh, I might do a rant here, I won't. But this is why it's important to do every week. And to be a part of. And to be a part of, and to not leave, and to not, yeah. you know, think, okay, I heard this sermon, it's time for me to to leave or let's do this once a month or let's do it once a quarter. We wouldn't maybe take, uh, some churches wouldn't take an offering once a quarter because, because, okay. So the argument around this is, well, it's so special. 
it's so important that what we don't want to do is have it lose its specialness by doing it so regularly. If that's true, why don't you believe that about your preaching? Well, then again, it's about the experience of it rather than about the meaning of it. Well, and that's... We say the same things about baptism. mm -hmm. Your actions betray what you believe, and your actions also shape what you believe. And so if you're thinking, I'm going to participate in this practice every week and be shaped by... Um, the submission of my imagination and of who I am and really taking something into my body and saying what I'm proclaiming is Christ, hope, and resurrection, then that shapes what you believe at a core level. Mm -hmm. And to devalue that uh, by not understanding it fully and not seeking to understand it fully or to not practice it or to taking it more lightly, I think that's, it shapes something in you also on the negative side. And as you've made the point, like that's something that Christ gave us to Mm -hmm. proclaim to each other and it forms something in us. Something Michael Horton says, we use this quote in the training program because as a, as a minister pastor, but this is not just true for those of us who are in vocational ministry. It could be true for parents. It could be true for people who are just trying to be faithful to, to help their coworkers and neighbors come to know Christ or to experience sanctification in Christ, is that sometimes we can prioritize extraordinary means. Like, well, we got to get them this study. That was great. Or we have to make sure they understand, if they only read this book yeah. or if they, you know, whatever it is. And, and what I think is happening here is that, uh, so here's the Horton quote. He says, our tendency is to prioritize extraordinary methods and demands over the ordinary means that Christ instituted for sustainable mission. So what he's trying to say here is that, yeah, sure, let's let's think really hard about church programs and structures, mm-hmm. and let's think really hard about missional strategy, and let's think really hard about formation and discipleship methods that we're going to use in the church. Think really, really hard about them. Be intentional about what you're trying to do. But don't forget that Christ has also instituted means that are far outside of your control in his mercy and grace to shape and form people despite you. Yeah. Right, regardless of how brilliant or even when we make mistakes, that Jesus is still tending for and taking care of his people through the ordinances and sacraments. Yeah, it's really good. So for yeah. those of us who are listening who heard the four positions and then heard Mason be converted to the third one <laughs> on the broadcast. Just got some clarity around it. I, I'm going to, you said before the show, JT, you're like, we haven't had a fight Let's in a while. Argue. We need to have a fight. I don't want to argue about it. I do want everybody else out there to know I'm kind of on the fence. I'm, and that's, yeah, I'm in between yes. those last two and I would need longer conversations to pull me closer toward the spiritual element that you're mm-hmm. describing. I'm not like, I'm not, um antagonistic toward it. I just am not comfortable with it to the extent that you guys seem to be. So that's one point I wanted to throw out there for my homies who are listening. And the other one is that we're going (laughs) to... If they're still listening. We're going to... (laughs) My homies in ball caps. um, (laughs) We're going to deduct some points for JT on this broadcast because he did use the term gospel as a verb. Mm, Yeah, which is a pet peeve. Yeah. (gasps) That in saturation... Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Marinate. Yeah. Marinate. Are, yeah. The gospel. Jen has, a, lexi- that. Jen has a lexicon of things she doesn't want. The Christianese that I yeah, will yeah. not allow without pointing out. You need a bell, <laughs> like a buzzer. I think uh, <laughs> I think on the spiritual presence, so we'll like the, let, let the board show JT is down three points. Um, <laughs> but did I have any before that? No, you're at negative three right now. <laughs> negative three. We're like 40 episodes uh, in, you haven't accrued any points yet. <laughs> um, uh, you're going to need to tap into that extra well of grace that's mm-hmm. up there. Oh, I'm gonna, me and Thomas Aquinas are going to become friends. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the, on the spiritual presence view, I think I, I really appreciate that, Jen. And I think part of it is a... Um, I appreciate that press. I think part of it is um, that we, there is a, and this is not what you're doing, 
okay, but I, but I understand when I've talked to people about the spiritual presence view, I can hear it in what they're saying. So I don't want to assume this about no, you. I'm going to say I, it's a fear of mysticism. Yeah. Is that what you were yes. about to say? And, it's, yeah. and, and, there it is, is. and there is kind of... I'm an, aware of my bias, though, right. so I try yeah. to just be honest with myself about it, being there and push myself right. toward the thing that feels most uncomfortable, but it's still there. Yeah, it does. And I, th- I, I, and I feel like one of the things where we've been hesitant around this is that the spiritual presence view... Um, it makes sense within a um, a particular theological system, and that particular theological system uh, is one that has a high view of the Lord's Supper being a uh, covenant renewal ceremony, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, where we're coming before God, uh, before the officers of a church, and in the midst of the family of God, and every week we are saying like. Um, my, uh, like, let this be true of me. Mm-hmm. Essentially, like, we're going back through and we're saying, like, I am one who is identified with the risen Jesus Christ. This is his table. I'm feasting at his table. Uh, and that there is a blessing that's being communicated just in the meal. Mm-hmm. And that blessing is depicting for us, uh, I think, in some real tangible ways that we are literally taking into ourself uh, the blessings of God. And we're not taking in the, the actual body and the actual blood of Jesus, but we are taking those, um, what Paul says in Ephesians, uh, every spiritual blessing that's been secured for us in Christ. We are receiving those in a unique way in the context of our baptism in the Lord's Supper. And so um, I, I know that um, I, I feel that same impulse as well. We're, you know, in most churches where this is practiced faithfully, I feel like there's still a really high view of like the preaching ministry of the church oh, and, sure. yeah. and all those oh, yeah. other yeah. things. Um, it's just that the spiritual presence view is saying that there's just a unique element in which the spirit is using these ordinances to uh, conform us to the image of Christ Jesus. Okay. Let me ask a practical question related mm-hmm. to that. Um, I know we don't have a ton of time. but. Sure. How does that change the way I participate if I take the spiritual view versus the the spiritual presence view versus the just active remembrance view? How does it change the way I'm orienting myself to that moment in the service, or does it? Ooh, that's a good question. I think one way it does. Uh, number one, I would say we should refrain from using the word take when we talk about the Lord's say Supper receive. and say receive. Yeah. We're not taking anything. We're receiving something already I given. Like that either way. Can I have that on my side? Well, you if just I said take a second side. to go. So <laughs> okay, you sorry. lost three points. Y'all are even negative. Scratch game. Max and I are still at zero. Yeah. Or Mason and I. Sorry. Great. Um, that, that, that's the first point is we are receiving something that is present to us in a unique way there. And I'll just say what's most helpful for me practically is it's an assurance of God's promise to persevere me through all seasons of life and not just because oh yeah jesus died for me but because he's with me in a unique way in this meal in a way that will be true in the future so here's here's one way that that's played out for me just real practically uh macy and i we've talked about this before on the podcast we've had a tough few years related to just tough seasons of life one was her brother died one was her dad died and we partook of the Lord's Supper at our church the week af- uh, each week after that. And we're just reminded of God's presence with us in the meal or Jesus' presence with us in the meal, Christ's presence, uh, in a way that was unique where he was actually shaping, forming, nourishing us and persevering us in a way that wasn't true when we were just at a Bible study or something like that. Though, you know, I love Bible study. Uh, but Let's also try not to lose more points. Yeah, but yeah. also how it was true when we were celebrating the birth of our son and the birth of our daughter, mm-hmm. how he was uniquely present to us in those meals. Uh, 
And that's why liturgy like this is so important is because we're reminded of God's faithfulness both in good seasons and in gut-wrenching seasons, that Jesus is present shaping, forming, and nourishing us through this meal until he comes. And I think the the word, the, the reframing there that you did of we are receiving that is something at each point in the service, if we're looking through the narrative that we're being sent back out under into our week, is that you are a recipient of grace. This mm-hmm. is not something you are doing and achieving. You're taking it or doing it for yourself, but you're receiving what Christ has given for you. And so you're going to participate in it now. That's good. And that's a, just a good posture for us to take the supper in. Well, wow. We, gosh, we got into that. That was good. I did not think we would get into it that far. I think it went even a different direction than we might have thought, you and you I really like it. That's why I like this one. Well, good. I mean, I, <laughs> I honestly, was I was like, wow, we just kind of jumped in. I did not expect <laughs> it's that. It's Mason. Mason's the X Factor. Mm-hmm. Hey, Handkerchief and all. Mm-hmm. There you go. Full circle. If there's anything you heard us talk about the show that you'd like to know <laughs> more about, you can find details on our website, tvcresources.net. On our next episode, we're going to be talking about Absalom's daddy issues. See you next time. Grace and peace.